Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Congregation. I know we have uh, visitors in the audience this morning and we're so glad to have you as part of this service. We hope you'll stay around long enough for us to get to know you better and you begin to meet us and want to be here every time. If you're joining us on social media, we uh, welcome you this morning. Brother Ken and Anita are on vacation today. I think their plan was to be in Seattle, but we are privileged today to have Brother Doug Smith, who will be moving here towards the end of the month to be our involvement minister. He's going to be bringing the lesson this morning. His wife, Jody, is with him. And they have three children, Holly, Philip and Mallory, they were all planning on being here, but Holly 
and her husband, John David, last name is Free, live in Montgomery. Uh, one of their children is sick and they were not able to come, but Philip and Abby Smith, who live in Oxford, and their children, uh, Lenny Kate and Tyson, are here with us, and Mallory, who lives in Memphis, uh, is also here today, and we're glad to have Doug and Jody and their uh, two of their grandchildren here with us today. I know this is a holiday week with the school uh, having a holiday, so we have some out, but it's great to have others with us today. In our service this morning, Brother Joe Garrett is going to be leading our singing. Uh, Brother Jonathan Farr has the opening prayer. Brother Sam English will have the scripture reading. Brother Doug Smith will bring our lesson. Uh, Cameron Jumper will uh, lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then Brother Todd Sweeney will have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you uh, bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can assemble this morning to worship Thee. We pray that our worship would be uh, pleasing in Your sight and that our songs would be a sweet savor coming up unto You. We pray Your blessings to be upon Brother Doug as he brings us the lesson this morning. We uh, pray for safety for those who are traveling. And we pray for comfort for those who or have experienced loss, especially uh, Brother Brandon Elliott's uh, uh, dad's family. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. morning. First song of this morning will be when we all get to heaven. Sing the wondrous of our peace, sing in hearts that is Thank you. 
beautiful, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, God, with hearts full of gratitude. God, we're fully aware of all the many, many blessings you've given us, and we're so thankful for what you're doing for us here at the Boonville Church of Christ. God, this morning we do want to lift up to the lift up those to you that are sick and hurting. We especially want to lift up our brother Brandon Elliott this morning who lost his father earlier this week. We love Brandon and his family, and we know he's hurting, and God, we just pray that we can help provide him comfort through this tough time. And God, please, please be with all the others among us who are sick and hurting. You know their needs. 
God, we thank you this morning for Brother Doug. We just pray that you'll be with him as he brings your lesson. Please help us be attentive and learn. God, this morning we want to say thank you for all the many children that are in our congregation this morning. And help us accept the responsibility to teach the next generation your word to help implant your word on their hearts and minds so that your message can continue to grow throughout the world. God, we love you and we thank you. And we ask you to please forgive us when we fail you. Please continue to be with us and we pray that everything we do will be in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation song is, Lord, I'm coming home. If you'd like to mark it in your songbook. 936. <clears throat> song before the lesson this morning is, uh, Sing to me of heaven. Sing to me of heaven.
I will be reading Acts chapter 13, verses 22 and 23. And when he had removed him, he raised him unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. I cannot tell you what a joy and honor it is to be here this morning. Um, Jody and I are, are very excited about beginning our work here at Boonville in two or three weeks. We still don't know exactly when all that's going to transpire, but we are very excited about the future here. I know the church here has tremendous potential, and uh, we are just very anxious to get to work and to become a part of the family here at Boonville. This church has a wonderful reputation, has through the years of dedication and service and faithfulness to God, and uh, we are just wanting to go ahead and, and get started as quickly as possible. I'm glad that most of my family uh, could be here this morning. We almost had all of them, but uh, it's good that uh, a couple of my children and one set of the grandchildren can be here today, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be seeing a little more of them uh, once we get settled in as well. In the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, as was read in your hearing a few minutes ago, the Bible says, and Paul here quoting the Old Testament, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. Truly, David was a man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 1, David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. David was one of the most prominent figures in the history of the entire world. He, he stands as a mountain peak among all Bible characters. You know, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was never called the son of Abraham. He's never referred to as the son of Isaac or the son of Jacob, but he's called the son of David. And except perhaps for Moses, David would be the most outstanding character in the entire Old Testament. In fact, we have more information about David than we do about any other Bible character. He was a soldier, a shepherd, a statesman, a king, a poet, a great leader, a loving and devoted father all in one. He was one that was patriotic and generous, and yet he was very kind. David was a strong man, a very brave man, and yet he had strong impulses. And usually, David lived very close to God, and yet we know that David could turn right around and become a guilt-ridden sinner. And there is no doubt but that David broke the heart of Jehovah God when he went out and committed adultery with Bathsheba. And yet in spite of his sins, in spite of his blunders, in spite of his great transgressions, David is still described by inspiration as a man after God's own heart. 
And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to observe some of the qualities in David's life that enabled him by inspiration to be called a man after God's own heart. And what I want us to realize today is that to the same degree that we try to make these qualities a part of our lives today, we too can also be people after God's own heart. You know, the first thing that really impresses me about young David was here was a man that had great faith in God. He had tremendous courage. You'll recall in 1 Samuel chapter 17, how in verses 36 and 37, David showed tremendous courage as he kept his father's sheep by slaying both the lion and the bear. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David had been sent by his father as a teenage boy to carry some food to his own brothers who were soldiers in Saul's army. And when young David arrived on the scene, he, he found the army of Israel arrayed in battle with the army of the Philistines. Now those Philistines had a great champion. His name was Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 tells us that Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall. His coat of armor alone weighed 148 pounds. The Bible says the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And without going into detail and describing what a weaver's beam actually is, what the text is saying there is that Goliath's spear, the staff of it, was somewhat from 10 to 12 feet long perhaps three and a half to four inches in diameter, the head of his spear alone weighed 17 pounds. In other words, whatever that spear was aimed at, it utterly destroyed. And so here was a very awesome, a very intimidating man of war. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 and 9, Goliath would come out daily and he would challenge the armies of Israel. He would say, choose you a man to fight against me. And if he fight against me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I fight against him and kill him, then you'll be our servants. And when Goliath would make that challenge, every man in the army of Israel would shudder in fear. Even King Saul himself would tremble with horror. But just as Goliath was making one of those challenges, young David arrived on the scene and David said in 1 Samuel 17 verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And of course, you know, his brothers quickly rebuked him. You know, David, who'd you leave those few sheep with back there at home? You need to, you need to think about going back home and shutting your mouth and tending to those sheep. You know, that's your responsibility. Well, David said, is there not a cause? And with David talking along these lines, he was very quickly brought face to face with King Saul. 
And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. I will go out and I will fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you're just but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. And David said, Saul, I kept my father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and I smote him and I killed him. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. What else could Saul say? He said, go and the Lord be with you. In verse 18, we read that Saul armed David with his own armor. He put the helmet of brass upon his head. He put on the coat of mail. David girded the king's sword at his side. And David said, I can't go out with these. I don't know how to use these kind of weapons. And so David took off all that heavy armor. And instead he took his shepherd's staff and five smooth stones and his sling and David went out to meet that nine feet, nine inch tall giant, Goliath. And if you look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 42, the Bible says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come to me with staves? And the Bible says the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the fowls of the earth and to the wild beasts. Now, I think we are somewhat familiar with trash talking. You know, we hear a lot about that in athletics today. You know, some trash talking, you know, might be somewhat intimidating. I personally... Don't know how David handled this kind of talk coming his way. I would have been scared for my life if this great man of war had said this to me. But David said to this Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, this day. The Lord is going to deliver you into my hand and I will smite you. I will take your head from you and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the wild beast of the earth. And all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And David said, all this assembly is going to know that the Lord doesn't save with sword or with spear for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. And I love the latter part of verse 48. The Bible says that David hasted and he ran toward the army 
to meet that Philistine warrior. Now, can you picture in your mind this morning a teenage boy armed with a sling and five smooth stones and a shepherd's staff running toward the army to meet that great Philistine warrior? You know, we're all familiar with the story. David put that stone in its sling and that stone found its mark and it sank deeply into the giant's forehead. That great man of war that was supposedly unbeatable fell flat on his face. David didn't even have a sword. He took Goliath's own sword and he cut his head off. And when those Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they were filled with fear. Let me tell you, that was a great victory for Jehovah God on that day. And today we need to realize that it's important for us likewise to have courage. We need to have the courage today to do what's right when the world around us is doing wrong. I think about our young people today and how our young people are so susceptible to things like peer pressure. You know, there's no real greater desire that a young person has than the desire to, to be a part. Young people desperately, they want to belong. They, they want to fit in. And many times it's easy to compromise. It's easy to, to give in. It's easy to just kind of go along with what's happening instead of standing up for what we know deep down in our heart is right. It takes courage to avoid the immorality that characterizes our world. To talk like the world talks today. To dress like the world dresses. And how our young people need to be encouraged. They need to be admonished. We need to be continually praying for them as they go through their daily activities. That they'll have the strength and the stamina and the convictions to always do what's right. When the easy thing is, is to go along with the crowd. I think we in the church generally need to have the courage to take on difficult tasks. We need to have the courage today to defy those Goliaths that would defy us. Maybe it's the Goliath of pride. It may be the Goliath of materialism or worldliness or, or immorality. It may be a, a number of things. But we need to think about whatever it might be that, that stands between us and God right now and make the determination that we're not going to allow that to come between us and our maker. And when we today can have the courage to do what we need to do, to have the courage to always make sure that our lives are right with God, when we have the courage to say, I'm going to do what God wants and God desires, regardless of the situation. When we have the courage to remove anything and everything that stands between us and God, we too can be people after God's own heart. 
In the second place, though, I think David had a, another trait that was quite unique. It was a trait that enabled David to be called a man after God's own heart. You know, David had the uncanny ability to love those who would become his worst enemies. And Saul became the worst enemy that David ever had in his life. And yet David never did one thing wrong to Saul as long as he lived. And yet Saul was continually trying to take the life of David. He was obsessed with trying to kill him. In fact, Saul had an army of at least 3,000 men out searching the countryside for David. And when those priests at Nob heard that Saul was chasing David with an army, those priests helped David in his flight. And out of anger, Saul slew 85 priests of God because of their help they gave to David. And yet in spite of all that, David still loved Saul. David never did one thing wrong to Saul. He never sought vengeance. He never tried to retaliate. He never harmed Saul in any way. Even while being hunted by Saul, we read that David at least twice spared the life of the king. And when King Saul had finally come to the end of his own life, when he had fallen on his own sword in battle, you might think that David would certainly be relieved. But when David heard about Saul's death, who was the greatest mourner in all Israel? It was none other than young David. David said in 2 Samuel 1 and verse 19, The beauty of Israel is slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tears of grief streamed down the cheeks of David because God's anointed was no longer alive. And of course, after Saul's death, David himself became king. And later on, we find that David had a very handsome son, a young man by the name of Absalom. And Absalom conspired against his own father, David. In fact, that conspiracy became so strong that David had to leave the capital city of Jerusalem. He had to flee for his life. But the last thing that David said to his commander, to Joab, was, you deal gently with the young man Absalom. You don't allow anything to happen to Absalom. And you'll recall how Absalom was killed while fleeing the battle. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and 19, we find that touching scene of David crying and saying, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Would to God I had died for you. How we need to realize today that Loving our enemies, caring for those that would harm us and hurt us, that will make us people after God's own heart. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? If you've been stabbed in the back, 
if you've been lied about, if somebody has done something to hurt you, if somebody has done something that just irks you to the greatest degree, it's so hard to have the right kind of attitude. If we have been offended in some way, it's difficult for us to forgive somebody. But loving our enemies will make us people after God's own heart. I want you to take careful note today of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. It's a passage that many times we, we just kind of read over, but we really don't look at it and understand what's being said. We've got a formula here for actually loving our enemies and what loving our enemies involves. And it comes from the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now that doesn't mean that we have a warm, fuzzy feeling on the inside about our enemies like we do about our dear friends and family members. He's talking about agape love here, a love that, that seeks what's good and better for the other person. Love your enemies. But notice what he says. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. How do I love those that would even become my worst enemies in life? First of all, Jesus said, you bless them that curse you. First of all, you watch what you say. You don't say negative things about your enemy. You don't go about with your mouth trying to retaliate, trying to get vengeance back at them by what you might say, cutting and hurtful words instead. Even though your enemies hurt you, you bless them in return. Somebody at work does something to try to hurt you or undermine you. You say good things about them. Bless them that curse you. But it even gets more, good, more uh, difficult than that. Bible goes on to say, do good to them that hate you. Here's a person that, that makes it clear that they don't like you, that they despise you, that they'll do anything to harm you. Jesus said, do good to them that hate you. You go out of your way to do good things for them, to be nice to them, regardless of what they do towards you. And so there's the mouth, bless them. There's our actions. We are to do good to them. The last one may be the hardest. Jesus said, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That means when you and God are alone, when you're praying to your heavenly father about those greatest needs in your heart, you pray for that one that's lied about you. You pray about that one that has stabbed you in the back, that one that has said hateful and hurtful things to you. That's what it means to love your enemies. 
It's by what we say. It's by what we do. And it's by praying to our Heavenly Father on their behalf. Now, when we can develop that kind of an attitude of loving our enemies, then we become people after God's own heart. But you know, David had another quality that I think made him an individual after God's own heart. David realized the importance of, and he practiced unity among the people of God. In fact, it was David who wrote those beautiful words of Psalms 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And because David really loved and worked for unity, we find that the people of God dearly loved him. And when we today in the Lord's church can realize the tremendous value of unity, when we're big enough that we'll always put the good of the Lord's church, the good of the local congregation above any individual preference that I might have as a person, when we can realize today that the Lord's work is far greater and far more important than any desire I might have individually. When we work to maintain peace and unity and harmony in the Lord's church, and we have to work at it continually, then we become people after God's own heart. Are you today working for unity in the Lord's body? Are you striving to always do those things and say those things that would make for peace? Have you put the well-being of the local church here above any individual preference you might have? You see, when we work together to promote genuine peace among brethren, then we too will be people after God's own heart. And yet another quality that I believe David possessed that made him a man after God's own heart was the fact that David was an individual who was genuinely humble. Now you recall back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, King Saul said, listen, anybody in the army that will go out and <clears throat> fight the Philistine and kill him, I'm going to make that man very wealthy. I'm even going to give him my own daughter in marriage. You know, David really wasn't concerned about being wealthy. He certainly didn't desire to marry the king's daughter. But David went out and slew Goliath, and King Saul made good on his promise. He called David into his presence, and in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 18, David said to Saul, Who am I? What is my life? What is my father's family in Israel? that I should be son-in-law to the king. He felt so inadequate to be in that position. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8, at the very height of David's power as king, David still recalled how God took him from the sheep coat and from following after sheep to make him ruler over all Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, when David was near the end of his life, they were once again in battle with those Philistines. And 
You know, David yearned for just one more drop of water from that well back in Jerusalem. Let me tell you, my friends, David never did forget where he came from. He was a genuinely humble individual. In fact, it was David that penned those beautiful words of Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. God, when I, I consider who you are and your creation, what is any man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you have visited him? David was the wealthiest person in the world at that time. He was the king of a mighty and powerful nation. David could literally have anything he desired with the snap of his finger. And yet David said, when I think about God, when I think about who God is and how powerful he is and what he's done for me, when I consider God, what is any man that you're mindful of him? You know, truly, man at his greatest is nothing compared to God. And humility is a trait that will make us people after God's own heart. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4 and verse 6. And I don't know of anything that we in the church need more than people who are young and middle-aged, those who are in the sunset years of life, who are genuinely humble. We need to put away our pride. We need to put away our arrogance. We need to put away anything that stands between us and God. You know, one reason why it's so difficult today for brethren to say, you know, I sinned, I've done wrong, is simply because we're not humble enough. But there's a crying need in the Lord's church that won't consider what somebody else may say or think about us. But when we need to make our lives right, that in genuine humility, we will be willing to acknowledge our wrongs and to do whatever it takes to make our lives right with God. One final thought today, and the lesson's yours. David's penitence. David's attitude of acknowledging his sins made him a man after God's own heart. This morning, I'm thinking of that sin with Bathsheba. David was at the zenith of his power, maybe about 50 years of age. He had conquered all the nations round about him, but not his own desires. And David was tempted while enjoying great prosperity in a time of idleness. While walking on the king's roof in the cool of the evening, he saw this man, this woman, I should say, named Bathsheba, bathing herself. Now the Bible tells us that Bathsheba was very beautiful to look upon. Now the Bible's very, very careful in its description 
of the physical characteristics of individuals that it describes. And when the Holy Spirit tells us that Bathsheba was very beautiful to look upon, that really means something. Well, David saw her. He desired her. He sent for her. He committed adultery with her. Well, sometime later, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was expecting a child. I think we know what social media would do to somebody in that kind of a scandal today. You know, news gets all over the world today, you know, in just a matter of a second. This is a very scandalous thing. And, you know, David's first impulse is to try to remove any suspicion at all that might come his way. And so David immediately summoned Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the heat of battle. He thought, surely, surely, after being off at war, that Uriah would go into his wife and be with her and thereby let him off the hook. You know, nobody's going to point any accusing finger at him. But you know, Uriah would not go into his wife. David even went so far as to make Uriah drunk. And even under the influence of alcohol, David, and all the things David tried to do, Uriah would not go into his wife. Uriah said, you know, my brethren in arms are on the battlefield. Their lives are in danger. You know, they're living in tents. Do you think I'm going to go in and, and be with my wife and lie with her when my fellow soldiers are on the battlefield? Uriah was a very honorable individual. And so finally, as a last resort, David sent a letter to Joab, the commander. And he sent that letter by the hand of Uriah himself, commanding him and instructing him to put Uriah in the very hottest part of the battle and then retreat from him that he might die. That was done. Uriah was killed. And David was as guilty of taking Uriah's life as if he had done it with his own sword. Well, after a period of mourning, David and Bathsheba were married. And oh, it seems like, you know, everything is hunky-dory now. You know, everything's just going so very well until we come to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Nathan the prophet comes to pay David a visit. And the Bible says, the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And Nathan came to him and, and said, David... There were two men in one city. One was very rich. The other was very poor. And that rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but that one poor man had nothing except a little lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and his children and it did eat of his own meat, it drank of his own cup, it lay in his own bosom and was like a daughter unto him. 
And so here's a very poor man, and he has this little lamb. It's the family pet. Now, I've got two little dogs. They're eight years old. A miniature dash hound named Darla. And I've got a little Papillon mix named Kiki. And my wife will tell you today, they're, they're like children. You know, those dogs, as she says, run my life. Whatever they want, I'll do for them. I spend a lot of time in the floor with those dogs because they bark and that's where we want, want me. And so when they want me somewhere, I'm there. I'll do anything for those dogs. We know how dear a, a family pet can be. And, and that's what Nathan is describing to David. This little lamb grew up together with him and his children. And then Nathan went on to say, There came a traveler under the rich man, and he would not take of his many flocks and herds to dress for that wayfaring man who had come unto him, but instead he went to that poor man's house. And he took his one little lamb, and he dressed it, he killed it, and he gave it to the man who had come to him. The Bible says David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And David said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore this lamb fourfold because he had no compassion. And you could almost just see the piercing eyes of David. And Nathan looked at David and said, you are the man. Nathan said, David, God has blessed you with everything. And yet you've gone out and taken your rise one wife. You're worthy of death. And he was, but God spared his life. First thing that David said was, I have sinned against the Lord. David, I thought you sinned against Bathsheba. Oh, I did. I thought you sinned against Uriah. Oh, I did. David, I thought you sinned against yourself. I did. But David said, I've sinned against the Lord. You see, David realized that ultimately every sin is a sin against God. Anytime we transgress God's law, we sin against God. In 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10, David again transgressed God's law. And in violation of God's law, he numbered, numbered Israel. And when David was confronted with that, <clears throat> David said, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. Why is David called a man after God's own heart? Well, he was one when facing sin would freely acknowledge and confess his sins. In Psalms chapter 32 and verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin unto you and mine iniquity I have not hid. I believe one of the most beautiful expressions in all the Bible of repentance. Psalms chapter 51 where David confesses this sin unto God. David said in Psalms 51 and verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me from my iniquity. 
for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you alone have I done this evil and sinned in your sight. You know, David didn't mince words. David didn't say, you know, God, you know, maybe I made a mistake or, you know, if I've done anything wrong, I'm sorry. You know, many times brethren will walk down the aisle and they may say, you know, if I offended somebody, I'm sorry. Or if I've sinned, I'm sorry. We need to learn from David to leave the if off. And we need to learn from David the importance of acknowledging our sins. We need to fully and freely confess those sins. I don't know of anything that would revolutionize the Lord's church more than for us to humble ourselves and see ourselves as we really are. And be willing to confess those sins and acknowledge those sins and say, you know, yes, I've been wrong. I've been lukewarm. I've been indifferent. I failed to do the work of a Christian. I've gone off into some sin and I brought shame upon the Lord and His church. How our lives could be changed if we could just be like David in genuine humility. As members of the Lord's church, if we know that our lives are not right, if we've gone off into sin, we just need to fully and freely confess those sins. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, James 5 and verse 16. And then we need to turn away from those sins in repentance, Acts 8 and verse 22. We need to ask God to <clears throat> forgive us of those sins. And then we know the cleansing blood of Jesus will once again wash those sins away and we can stand pure and clean and justified in God's sight. We can once again be fruitful and effective in the Lord's kingdom as we strive to be faithful. I hope this morning that you'll think about your life as a member of the Lord's church. Don't think about somebody else's life. Think about your own life. Do you have the courage today to... Remove whatever stands between you and God. Have you really been working for the Lord? Are you humble like David was? Are you willing to acknowledge, and acknowledge your wrongs? If, if we could only envision today a vast and unending eternity. If today we could only realize what's involved if we fail to be faithful. I think we would do whatever it would take. To make our lives right with God. God wants us to be saved. You may be here this morning and you may have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's the case with you today, then the Bible describes you as being without God and without hope in this world. And yet today you can change all of that with a simple decision. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, with all of your heart, John 8 and verse 24, then today you can repent. You can turn away from those sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You can make that great confession today that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God, like the eunuch did in Acts 8 and verse 37, and even today. 
You can be immersed in water. Buried with your Lord in baptism, Romans 6, 3, and 4. And the Bible says that act of baptism will wash away all your sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. And you can arise from that watery grave. A new creation. One that's right with the Lord. And you can go to bed at night and you can sleep with the confidence that regardless of what may happen, Heaven will be your home. This morning, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. I wandered far away
portion of our worship as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Raise your hand if you've not received the emblems and you provide them at this time. As we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's time for us to memorialize the uh, sacrifice that Christ gave for us. It's time for us to clear thoughts and minds of the worldly stresses that we have and responsibilities this life brings to us. It's time for us to each personally examine ourselves, look at ourselves, and how we're serving in the kingdom and doing and things we do for the Lord. It's time for us to view images of the cross and remembering that great sacrifice and as he was in the garden and his uh, sweat was his blood and he was praying fervently to the Father to ask for the cup to pass from him, but at the same time asking that his will would be done for our sake. The Lord and in his institution had two sayings. He asked as he took the bread, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, as it is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as he took the cup, he said, This is my blood in the New Testament. You know, two simple sayings that at the time the apostles was there probably trying to wrap their mind around and has great significance for us today. So as we're remembering Christ, as we're examining ourselves, and as we're viewing images of the cross, let's give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this time to come together to memorialize Thee and the greatness and the things Thou hast done for us. Lord, give thanks for the bread. Lord, pray that we'll partake of it in the matter well-pleasing Thy sight. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this cup, which represents Thy blood. We're thankful to be able to contact Thy blood and receive the great blessings that we receive through Thee. We pray that we'll partake of this in a manner pleasing unto Thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
We also at this time are commanded to give to give back a portion of him to the work of the kingdom. Let's pray for the way he's blessed us. <clears throat> give thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for the blessings thou hast given us. We thank thee, Lord, for our health and our strengths and abilities you've granted each one of us. Lord, we're thankful for the ability we have to provide for our family. Lord, we're thankful to have the opportunity to give into thy work. Lord, we pray we'll continue to give with a cheerful heart that thy will will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On behalf of the congregation, uh, Doug, we're thankful that you came all the way from Montgomery. And I can't think of a better thing than challenging us to be a people after God's own heart. We pray for you and for your family. We really look forward to you getting here and, jo and Jody and, and becoming part of this family. We love you. Thank you. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are glad to have you here with us. We invite you to come back at any time that you can. Uh, many of you members like myself that have been here over a, over a good many of years, you can remember Brother Gene Thornton would stand up here and say when we had a great morning, aren't you glad you were here today? Brother Doug's wonderful lesson, and we're looking forward to having you and your family as part of our family. A uh, few announcements this morning. As always, be mindful of the prayer list that's in the bulletin there and in the few, in back of the pew in front of you. And for the benefit of those that may be at home watching online, we'll, I'm going to go through some of these announcements. Uh, Symphony is extended to Brandon Elliott and the death of his dad, Steve Elliott of Red Bay. Uh, arrangements are at Deaton Funeral Home in Red Bay. Tomorrow visitation is from 11 to 2, and the funeral is at 2, so be sure that you keep Brandon and his family in your prayer. Also, devotional at the Landmark Nursing and Rehab is today at 4 o'clock. If you're willing to help with this ministry, please see Jim Estes. Uh, Golden Circle Luncheon is Tuesday at 11.30 in the Annex. Uh, giant Clothing Giveaway, October 23rd at the Clothes Closet. And uh, Brother Murrow has been to emphasize that the Danville Gospel Meeting, October the 10th through the 13th with Wendell Fikes at 7 o'clock at each evening. Uh, this Monday night, the van will leave at 6.30, so if you want to be a part of that, be sure you're here on time to catch the van. Uh, K through 6th grade, will have a group trip to the Pumpkin Patch on October 23rd. Sign up in the foyer if you plan to go. And 7th and 8th graders is interested in uh, EYC, you need to sign up in the foyer as well. Uh, the last lease or registration is due by next Sunday. So please leave those forms on the youth table in the foyer. And again, remind everyone, a retirement reception honoring Jim Estes will be Sunday, October 17th from 3 o'clock to 4.30 in the Annex. We had 308 in attendance this morning. I do have a card of thanks that I need to read to everyone. It says to my church family, thank you for your phone calls, cards, and food. Most of all, thank you for your prayers. I know they were heard. In Christian love, L.C. and Wynell Thompson. That's all the announcements I have this morning. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you again thanking you for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you in song and praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Brother Doug coming our way and spreading your word, and we're excited about him and his family becoming a part of our family here at Boonville. Father, we ask you to continue to be with the leaders of this church that may lead us in a direction and a manner that pleasing unto thee. Father, go with us throughout this upcoming work week and help us to live and work and play in a manner that be pleasing unto thee. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, whom died on the cross, that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. It's through his precious name we pray. Amen.